You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll be talking about some games played, followed by some upcoming games, and our top three exciting games. This is episode 37, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Trevor. Trevor, what? Who's this guy? Nobody. <laughs> so Don't worry about it. Trevor will be subbing for Justine and Matt. Look, Trevor's not trying to replace anybody, okay? He's not your real dad. He just wants to be your friend. So just accept him. Yeah, and I don't even like board games, so it's like I won't be sticking around very long. Yeah, he's just here to 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 say witty jokes about stuff he doesn't know about. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, I was thinking about it, and we could have done a Christmas episode because we're so close to the holiday. We're five days out. However, is there really that much Christmas content in board games? Not really, as we found out, actually. I looked at I looked for a particularly, uh, I think I looked for Christmas kind of themed board games and there's not many the ones that i looked at were kind of really bad uh same kind of vibe as halloween not very elaborate and just kind of just based it on themes so actually another unexplored opportunity for uh more comp- more elaborate board games christmas theme uh probably what are, what are you gold. talking about there's there's patchwork christmas edition oh my gosh oh yeah there's that <laughs> Which is exactly the same, but it just has some different art. But it comes with a cookie cutter. Yeah, it changes the experience entirely. Yeah, because you could eat those cookies while you play. Uh, Trevor's being sarcastic. It's exactly the same game with a difference. It's just like art. Uh, If I I remember correctly from looking at the box, the art actually doesn't really look that different from the quilt art. Unless mm-hmm. you, uh, but maybe I didn't look at it close enough. Yeah, it's just kind of that's not what I'm looking for in a Christmas theme specific board game. All right, how about everybody name one Christmas game that you would recommend? Don't everybody talk at once. Silence. <laughs> uh, the game that comes immediately to mind, which I wasn't going to talk about today, I think we've actually talked about it a long time ago after SaltCon because I played it at SaltCon first, is Gingerbread House. It's not exactly a Christmas-themed game either. It's actually a fairy tale kind of themed. Uh, but I think for me it kind of works, so it kind of feels like a Christmas-type game. You're capturing... Uh, fairy tale characters who are attracted to your eating your um, actually gingerbread house and you're a witch and you're imprisoning them and that's the game but yeah gingerbread house that's like the only one that kind of comes to mind for me uh, now that I think about it yeah I guess I'll just kind of cop out and I've never played gingerbread house and I can't think of a specific Christmas game other than Patchwork Christmas ed- version. Yeah, so, uh, you already named I yours. Like, <laughs> I like Patchwork. It's a fun little game. Uh, and who wouldn't want to play Patchwork with presents? Yeah, so. I guess if you don't already have it and you want to play it around Christmas time, it's not a bad one to get that version anyway. Uh, the Winter Wonderland expansion for 
welcome to i've talked about it on previous shows i it's aesthetically looking down at your paper definitely feels like uh, the winter time and Christmas time and the theme of it is putting up Christmas lights so if you use your imagination hard enough it feels very festive you know Brandon actually I've thought about a game which would go really well if they rethemed it uh, something like patchwork Christmas edition but actually more proper uh, broom service actually if you think about it you're, if you're uh, f- yeah. it's a bunch of witches flying around it can be a bunch of like competing Santa Claus uh, imposters or something that are flying around and delivering presents and instead of uh, like I am the brave like whatever witch uh, the cards could be elves or something so you could totally retheme the game the game very successfully i think uh broom service if you pasted a nice christmas theme christmas theme and thought it through and i think that's got potential that's a great idea i'd want to see it as mall santas competing and they're driving around to different malls (laughs) trying to hit up all the malls that they can yeah that's that's a different take but yeah i'll take it sure (laughs) and like uh you could sort of retheme uh like a Rondell game, kind of like, um, you know, Great Western Trailer, Mark Ibo, where you're just running around inside the mall, competing mall Santas, completing tasks at different stores here and there. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. But I, I always think of broom service when I think of Christmas, and I'm like, oh, it's not Santa Claus, it's witches, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> well, it could be reindeer. Yeah. All right, so we've played some games, so let's hear it. Risto. What have you been playing? Um, I've played Firenze, actually. This is a game which I talked about looking forward to playing a couple of weeks ago, and it's a reprint of a... Firenze itself is an older game, 2010. I think it was out of print for a while, and it got reprinted recently. I think new edition. I don't know if there's any rule changes. I kind of don't think so. I don't know. I haven't looked at it versus the previous edition. I know there's a mini expansion, which I might get uh, for it, but other than that, it should be exactly the same i think they might have cleaned up some art or something anyway firenze is a game about um i always i almost thought of it as kind of a joke of uh, kind of a game prequel to something like lorenzo because in lorenzo you're climbing some towers and in firenze you're building those towers so it's a game about building towers and actually my initial reaction when reading the rules uh was very kind of meh i wasn't sure that i'm gonna like the game at all because it sounded very dry um the game kind of has it's gosh how do i describe it uh basically it's kind of a very straightforward game actually i didn't uh it's a large box game large board whatever um and it looks like it's some kind of a complicated euro but it's really not uh the game's can be played in an hour our first game was kind of longer because of just kind of some delays but uh i think the game can can be played in an hour very realistically it's a very simple kind of card river game in fact i think it's kind of one of the better if not the best kind of card river games that i've seen 
uh, because those cards actually really kind of make the game more interesting. What you're trying to do in the game is get those bricks, get some bricks, I guess, um, in terms of uh, specific colors, and then build towers with them. Um, and then there's several colors. Some bricks are more rare. And if you're the first to build a tower of a certain size, you claim a certain amount of points. So that sounded just really kind of boring and bland. But where I think the game is made is the cards on the card river because the colors of bricks actually come on top of cards and the cards have either some interesting abilities including some take that but i think it's fine in that game because of balancing whoever's leading uh, or actually they could have something like negative points so basically you're drafting some colors that you need out of the river uh, but it could come with a disadvantage to you and then there's cards which get rid of those negative points later on so there's kind of a in addition to the collect colors and build game there's kind of a card game going on a little bit or just kind of an effects kind of game uh, some effects happen to everyone um, there's some really kind of trolley effects like there's a fire in the uh, storage facility or whatever and everyone loses three bricks for example uh, the bricks also by the way look very interesting they're kind of like these components that I don't think are very popular anymore if they ever were they look like uh, roofs so just kind of like little roofs and yeah, uh, I actually was, uh, I, I had fun playing that game. It was uh, kind of a smaller game kind of than I expected. The funny thing is, again, I bought it without knowing kind of anything about it other than it's uh, by the guy who designed Hans Teutonic actually, and I can't remember his name. I didn't look it up before the show, so that's unfortunate. But uh, I think it's like the first game after he designed Hans Teutonica. So um, I was kind of expecting to see something similarities or something. I don't think there's like any similarities. It's a completely different game, just completely, completely different. But overall, I think I had a, I had a good time with the game. It's not a very serious game. It feels like uh, something like very medium Euro kind of a game. If you like set collection, I think, and some kind of like planning around colors, uh, maybe some resource management concepts and uh, managing card effects, kind of weighing options. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool game. I'm not sure I'm super crazy about it, to be honest, but it's, it's nice. It's good. I, I recommend it. So that's Firenze. Uh, Firenze is the Italian for Florence, I think. So it's basically Florence in Italian is what the title of the game is. And yeah, Brandon played it as well. I don't know if he has anything to say about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had the same opinion as you. When I saw it set up, I was like, nah, this looks like it's not going to be very fun. But it actually ended up being very fun. A lot of player interaction action what i liked best about it was kind of the when you build you could decide to build on your little player mat and you could start building as much buildings as you want however each turn you have to build upon every building that you started building so there's an interesting decision of how many should i do should i just try to do one and stack it as high as i can or should i kind of press my luck and build multiples trying to uh, complete multiple different buildings in one turn. I really enjoyed that. And the cards are great too. Kind of almost engine build in E because you have some in your hand that you could throw down and do special abilities and whatnot. The uh, designer's name is Andreas Stedding. That would yeah. be the same as um, Hansa Teutonica, 
Uh, definitely not the same level as Haunted Teutonica as far as like depth or strategy, but I think it's a fun game and I would definitely play it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the good point about the deconstruction thing, the, I don't know if you mentioned, if you don't put a brick on every building that you've committed to, they deconstruct themselves. So basically it's kind of like, uh, like you say, kind of push as much as possible given your resources but if you can't maintain kind of the level of buildings you the game kind of just like whacks you back and it takes you back and it's pretty bad so it's just like a measured push for how high buildings you want to build it's kind of an interesting concept not super deep but interesting enough you haven't played you this have play you? that the uh the winner gets to pick their family first in in lorenzo yeah, actually, that could be really cool as a house rule, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, they just need to take out two buildings, and it's got all the colors, uh, similar buildings, too. <laughs> they look like kind of similar buildings. I didn't even think of that. It's it's Italian, well, it's Renaissance. What's that? There's an earthquake. That takes away the two buildings you don't need. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Huh. So, really, we are just talking about the prequel to Lorenzo El Magnifico. I knew you'd find a way to talk about it, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I played a game from 2015. It was called The Pursuit of Happiness, which I have always heard it being like a Euro uh, version of the game of life. And you know what? I would sort of agree, except for the fact that I don't like the game of life. But... I think I like this one. So basically what it is, is it's uh, sort of a card drafting game, but you're doing this with a kind of worker placement thing. By that, I mean you're putting workers out on places. And that's about it. Pe other people don't block you. In fact, you sort of block yourself because if you go to the same spot that you went to previously, you get stressed out. And stress isn't very good because stress can take away little uh, sand timers for well they're wooden sand timers that are representative of your actions that you can take throughout the game what are you drafting well the cards that you're drafting is like projects and items that you're buying throughout your life jobs and also relationships i felt that it it was a lot like life in the fact where if you have a good job and you're making a lot of money you also don't have a lot of time because you have to give up some of these uh, workers that you have, the sand timers, it's time. So you have to give them up in order to keep this job and keep the money flowing. But then if you also have a relationship also, they're taking up time and sometimes money. And it's the, sort of this balance game of, of trying to balance your work and pay for things and complete projects and buy stuff for yourself and keep your relationship happy all done with some familiar Euro mechanics. And I have to say, I enjoyed it quite well. The theme came through way more than the Game of Life did. And in fact, even though it's just kind of drafting cards and paying stuff for resources, I did find myself being kind of in the theme of like, I yeah, I'm trying to keep this good job. It's a level three job and I have this relationship. Maybe I shouldn't have gotten involved in this relationship. Maybe I should have focused on work. Should I dump this person? I think I should to focus on work or should I leave my job and focus on the, the, the relationship? I found those decisions happening throughout the game and it How felt dramatic and realistic. How did turn out, by the way? <laughs> I think I ended up leaving them. But... It, it, After all those years. <laughs> yeah. 
but I was trying to do it at the right time. You know, the holidays were coming and I was like, I don't know if this is right. Um, anyway, uh, these guys played it along with me and, uh, I, I don't know. I found a lot of enjoyment of it. Uh, there's a, there was a Kickstarter that's going to be fulfilled sometime, uh, with probably with all the expansions thrown in. I don't know if they're updating anything as far as rules or the board or anything. Maybe Hristo knows more about that, but I would highly suggest this game. I had a good time playing it and that's the pursuit of happiness. What, what do you guys feel about it? Yeah, I was going to say, I actually don't uh, know anything about specific about the expansions, but I was going to say, I think the game kind of needs maybe something more is kind of what I was hoping that the expansions would deliver. Not necessarily just more like experiences or whatever, or more different stuff. Maybe something like a sideboard, I'm hoping, or a new mechanic or something more elaborate as far as the game goes. Uh, the game is kind of, I expected more of a game there. Uh, it still it was really fun to play and really cool. And the theme comes across really well in that game i think that's kind of one of the main strengths of it uh but the game itself i was i thought it was just like more game but it it was kind of more simple than i thought um the uh, yeah like i say the one super strong thing about the game i feel is the theme uh, like you said it really comes across with like you're trying to make those decisions uh, everything kind of comes as in real life everything comes down to having enough time to do things focusing on the right things and uh, I should mention that one of the things that you could do was healthy eating and you eat like was it vegetables or something and it makes you unhappy but eventually you get a bonus to your life expectancy so I thought that was just kind of hilarious anyway there's little things like that in the game which I think are very uh, funny and amusing and make the theme come alive. Yeah, then you can also go running and, and just stress yourself out and kill <laughs> kill yourself by running and eating salad. Actually, <laughs> I chose the running way and the running way takes a lot of time and that was kind of a disaster, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with both of you. I, just thinking back on the play, I would just say it's just fun. It's fun to play. The theme is whimsical and hilarious. You can kind of create these really funny storylines. I think I started out as some broke musician. I, I picked up a guitar <laughs> and it took me three rounds to learn it, uh, which was kind of hilarious because in the meantime, I started hoarding video and board games and I built the sh I filled my house with shelves because that's like upgrading your hobbies. And then right before, like literally the last thing I did before I died, which was very smart, is I bought a yacht. So it's just, <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's fun to play. It's approachable. I, I just think it was, it was, it's a pretty cool game. I'm interested to see what the expansion does for it. Uh, I was going to say one, one uh, thing that you're supposed to do is when you win the game, you're supposed to actually tell the other players your life story, uh, which we didn't do, which was very unfortunate because I was kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that that's a missed opportunity because, uh, well, Trevor just sort of did right now. And it's sad. Yeah. His, his life yeah, that I he played. It, guys. Yeah, <laughs> his, his life that he played sounds actually very familiar. Uh, oh, I forgot. I also became like really adept at uh, political maneuvers on the global stage while I was also a musician. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, my life was all work and trying to keep the missus happy and, and, and to, no, to, to, and it, to failure. I just remembered at several points of the game, staring at Brandon, he's like looking at his relationship card, like, I hate this card. I want it gone. It's taking up so much time. 
it's getting you know it's, it's oh, just kind of funny it was yeah, that's what I, that's also very thematic is once you commit to a relationship to quit you it causes you like stress and basically it's a kind of a negative effect and you have to keep paying like time as brandon <laughs> fight found out which is the funniest thing ever but there was yeah. one round i think you started uh because there's there's certain things on these cards that will you know as as part of the quote income phase of each round at the beginning you are you know you'll get your money from your job and you'll get things from other cards but then other things cost time which are your action points for each round and i remember one was it one round you had maybe one or two action points for the round brandon there were several rounds where i had two action points Oof. yeah it was rough yeah it shortens your your play time significantly if you if you get into uh relationships let that be a lesson to your kids <laughs> all right trevor what have you played recently so i'm gonna talk about tawantin suyu uh publishers borden dice uh designers david Turtsey. um I hope Borden Dice is listening because I'm going to do my very best to communicate what the theme is because once you start playing, it really doesn't matter <laughs> whatsoever. So like the, the basic concept of this game, at its core, it's a worker placement game. And we've supposedly, you know, we're a bunch of priests and villagers who've been ordered by Sapa Inki, Inka Pachacuti, who, of course, as everyone knows, is the ninth ruler of the Incan Empire and who probably founded Machu Picchu. And he tells us that we need to worship Inti, the sun god. So there's just like any other game in this T series, there's a uh, there's a temple track, but just one in this game. And um, then we've also been commanded to expand the Inca Empire. Um and the the description says as far as the llamas roam and apparently llamas roam into only four regions chinsa chinchai suyu anti suyu kuya suyu and kunti suyu there's llamas don't go anywhere else so the the really like i said it, it's it's a worker placement game with some really i think cool twists um the worker placement spot so on the board you've got it, what is supposed to be like this hill and at the top of the hill in the middle uh it's there's this temple where each of the players will have a priest and there's like this rondelle action system on that on that center tile and you can move your priest around do actions there and then on each terrace down below you know if you imagine machu picchu machu picchu machu picchu uh on each terrace you have uh different symbols surrounded by action spaces and those symbols are the worker placement spots and they're in most cases only used once in the whole game so you're putting out workers and they stay on the board uh, pretty much and then your workers depending on their color give you different boosts depending on if you have placement bonuses so uh, placing workers of similar of the same color adjacent to each other will give you increased numbers of actions that you do so if i place uh, a white worker adjacent to other two other white workers i'm going to get boost i'm going to get you know an, an additional two actions because there's two white workers next to that other white worker uh, so that's really cool uh, the rest of the game is kind of a hand management resource management the hand management there's two types of cards that you're going to be picking up uh one are god cards which um if you 
get certain statues representative of different Incan gods. Um, when you play your workers, the cost of playing your worker is either play a card that has the god symbol matching where you want to play them. And if you have a statue of that god type, then you also get a bonus. So there's kind of a lot of things to line up and play right if you, you know, if you're going to maximize your turns. And then there's a, the way you conquest in this game is you have army cards that have uh, different numbers of warriors on them. I think only one or two. And then one of the actions you can do in the game is conquesting and in one of those four regions in each corner of the board. And then those turn into kind of majority uh, scoring things. Uh, there's variable round length uh, with, I think, three intervals, you know, intermittent scoring and then a final scoring. Um, so lots, lots of moving parts in this game, but I, I think that the worker placement aspect is really cool it's kind of you know in worker placement sometimes you have these you know a lot of times in worker placement games you'll you'll kind of see the options of in front of you and you and just kind of decide which option do i want this taiwan tensuyu has an interesting dynamic where you need to find the way to do what you want to do and there's could be multiple ways of doing that so that that was you know, a little brain burny, but I thought an interesting mechanic. But because of that, it, it, it does take a little bit longer to kind of get into. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a cool game so far. I've uh, I've only been able to play this solo, which is strange because I don't play games solo. Uh, but I think I've not yet found someone brave enough to sit down and play it with me yet. <laughs> uh, but no, I, th I think it's pretty cool. Um, David Turtsey is a designer that I uh, I enjoy his games. The ones I've played so far, you, most people might know him from Anachrony and uh, Brandon. You probably know him from Kitchen Rush. Um, oh, but yeah, I didn't no, know that was the same person. Game. What's that? I didn't know it was the same person that did Anachrony and Kitchen Rush. <laughs> they're like so different from each other. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they're the same uh, game. <laughs> yeah, to me, Talatin Suyu, Trevor showed me the boards one time, and uh, it looks pretty scary but also like any euro i think like it probably looks scarier than it, than it is uh but it does look like a complicated game that's the only thing i know about it and yeah even you explaining it it's kind of difficult to grasp what you're actually doing and it feels like actually very similar in terms of the strength of the team which is kind of not there as uh gosh what's the game with the uh shady dice and uh the canoe yeah that's kind of yeah. what it reminds me yeah, both of them kind of kind of have a very similar vibe to me yeah. uh, i bet they play completely differently but as far as like the theme is kind of not there just a bunch of symbols and like who cares that you're worshiping the god of whatever yeah. you're just worrying about which resource you're collecting and how much do you need to turn it in for whatever you know yeah so but yeah no it looks interesting i'll uh, i'm sure we'll end up playing it sometime uh but I kind of, the other thing is I kind of want to play it with not two player and we were talking about maybe getting together and just us playing it. So that's yeah, we'll maybe in our future. To play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in the game, but it, it is, it does feel unique and cool. And, you know, there's other things I didn't mention, like you can weave uh, alpaca wool, you know tapestries or whatever and that has kind of an engine building aspect there's also buildings you can build that have uh variable you know engine building aspects to it so there's there's a lot of cool things in this game and uh i think it'd be 
as Risa mentioned, I think it's going to be cool to explore it at higher player counts. Yep. Um, so actually, speaking of exploring at higher player counts, we played a two-player game yesterday of finally this game by Stefan Feld, actually, of all people, which I saw on Kickstarter and I wanted to play for a while. They have a demo uh, labeled as demo, oddly enough, on uh, Tabletop Simulator copy of the game. And the game's called Copelli, uh, K-O-K-O-P-E-L-L-I. We actually ended up playing it. Um, two-player game was okay we were talking about how a three-player game might be kind of uh, different actually in some game how the game plays kind of reasons not just kind of incentives but also the two-player game is a little bit more limited in terms of card play but anyway uh the game actually is very very weird to me because it's not stefan feld there's nothing that feels like stefan feld at all um my got some kind of an idea that i think he designed it after he visited the u.s and like uh visited like native sites or something or native people or whatever i don't know where i got that idea from maybe it was the kickstarter one of the kickstarter videos hopefully that's true but um supposedly that is the theme of the game i think uh is uh, just kind of uh, there are some ceremonies that are being performed by some kind of native tribe in their village. We each have our own like thematically village in which we're performing ceremonies. And um, the ceremonies are actually cards. The cards have abilities. And while the ceremony is being performed, the abilities are kind of online, so to speak. So as soon as you finish a ceremony the ceremony goes away you score some points but the ability also disappears so it's a very interesting game of kind of shifting abilities and they're quite powerful the abilities some examples are like uh when a ceremony is finished you get a bonus uh when you there's an action to draw cards from your deck uh you actually draw two cards instead of one so action efficiency so it's kind of interesting to kind of like basically flow through a bunch of different ways to that your game is played as time goes on because of the abilities that are in front of you so you might start playing some kind of game and then you switch to a different kind of game by that i mean like focus on different things uh however i'm making it sound very complicated the game is actually pretty straightforward and kind of simple um your actions of which you get two are basically play a card or draw a card that's it that's literally the entire game and actually the game ends once every ceremony of which there are 16 i think yeah i think there's 16 in the beginning or 12 actually 12 i think 12 is actually the right number um so once every ceremony is performed at least once meaning like finished uh and the points claimed the game is over or if someone uh, runs through their entire deck the game is over so very very simple game you basically play cards in front of you try to use their abilities as best you can while they are in front of you and then the game's over basically it's um, very quick uh it feels like a very light game again it does not feel like stefan feld at all there's no like long-term goals there's no super tightness that he likes to do in games uh it feels like it could have been designed by literally just anyone to me um, i was thinking like who does it feel like uh designed the game i really can't like put my 
uh, put put a finger on anyone in particular. It just feels like it could have been really anyone. Uh, very simple, straightforward game. Uh, it was it was good. My impressions of the game are uh, Trevor kind of like hated it the first time, and I think I got really lucky the first uh, the like we played it twice the first time I played it. Um, by that I mean I really feel like. The the, your, the way you're, the, you basically shuffle your deck and the ceremonies are completely random and whatever you get is just luck. Uh, and yes, they are kind of uh, supposed to be equally good, but certain combos of abilities, I think, are kind of better than others. And to some extent, you kind of can't really control that. Maybe your ceremony, there are these like wild cards in between your ceremony cards. So if you want to extend that ceremony or finish a ceremony or whatever to get rid of it to make space for a new one or you can cancel ceremonies but i think like the best efficiency which is very important for the game because the race game comes from largely luck and that was okay it didn't bother me too much but it kind of is what it is and uh because the game is so simple basically it's kind of the order of the cards coming out of you're basically top decking the whole game is just drawing cards and hoping to get the right ceremonies or whatever or just i guess the better, better way to put it is you're not really hoping to put to pull something in particular maybe sometimes you are but you're uh, just kind of using your hand the best way you can and someone might just have a better hand um, and that's just again how it is uh, very very light game again this is kind of funny that uh, Trevor has played like very uncharacteristic for Steffenfeld games which is very like strange games i think berlin was the most uh kind of characteristic game of stefan Pell, but not really um he's played like familia the uh, cocopelli now and merlin so <laughs> i feel like uh, we're kind of doing a disservice to stefan and we should introduce him to uh, some better stefan games classics out there so that's coming up but cocopelli was um an interesting like lighter game with some luck which i don't know if i'm gonna run out to buy it but i'll play it and i think i'll have fun if uh, someone wants to play it for a little bit that's kind of how i feel about it all right in 1995 reiner knizia designed a game called the fifth column that was used with just sort of a regular deck of cards from that design in 1999 he did shot and totten and then in 2000 they rethemed Shot and Totten to Battle Line, then 20 years later, Shot and Totten 2. And that's what I'm talking about. Now, the original Shot and Totten, you have these wall tiles, and you're basically just trying to uh, claim victory to these tiles. How are you doing that? By playing three cards with sort of poker hands. And you could play to any of these, these, these uh, tiles, but once three is there they kind of stay there once six is there so three on each side you compare who has the best sort of poker hand and you claim that tile and i believe it's like uh you win three or four uh, adjacent to each other or five total anywhere you'd win the game so shot and totten takes that two it takes the similar idea you're still playing poker type hands however now the tiles will tell you what needs to be played on them and how many cards. So for example, uh, this tile here wants three cards, but it just cares about the sum. It doesn't care about the runs or the flushes or any sort of thing of like that. Um, another one wants only runs, but it wants 
uh, four cards or another one just wants two cards. Anyway, it's also asymmetric. So one player will be playing as the aggressor or the attacker and one will be playing as the defender. It's asymmetric in the sense where on my turn, if I'm playing as the attacker, I can, before my actual turn, take one card from anywhere on the board and remove it and discard it. Uh, so I could retreat. The defender has these oil barrels and they will be able to, they have three of them, so three times in a game, once only per turn, they can discard one of these uh, boiling oil tokens tokens as they call them to remove a card from the attacker's side however it has to be the card that's closest to the tile so that makes the attacker very aware of what card they're putting down first now this also has tactic cards uh, which came with shot and totten and battle line but there's only a couple of them that you will see from Shot and Totten, similar ones, but they replaced a lot of them with just like what they call action cards, which just has a description on them instead of a picture that you have to memorize what the thing does. So I, I liked that a lot more. You just read the card and you discard it and you do what it does. Another thing that I think it fixes with the tactic cards is that you can only play one more than your opponent has played. So there's no just like pulling from these decks of tactic cards and then just unloading all these cheaty things. You have to wait for the other player. So if they've played zero, you could play one and then you have to wait for them to play another so you can play one. I thought that was a better, a better way of doing the tactic cards. Also, now they go from zero to 11. And if any time an 11 or a zero is played at the same location as an 11 or 0 of the same color, they eliminate each other. And the winning conditions is the the game lasts as long as the deck does. So if the deck runs out and somebody has to draw, the game's going to end. And if that's happened without the attacker winning, then the defender wins. The attacker needs to get either three, no, four locations anywhere or one location twice. Because once a location is declared, like, okay, who has won this, all the cards will get discarded, and that, that tile will flip to its, like, destroyed side. So you can play cards there again to take over that spot again. So the defender definitely has to watch out for those that have already been defeated. They want to protect those way more. So that's basically the gist of the game. There's maybe a few other things, but uh, basically that's it. It's still a small two-player game, but I have to say I enjoyed it a lot more than the original. Uh, I think it's different enough to where maybe people want to play just the kind of... The first one now feels a little watered down compared to this. It feels like there's a lot more happening, and it feels like there's a lot more strategy and a lot more thought and depth to this. So I quite enjoyed it. I would suggest it. That's Shot and Totten. Part two. And the art kind of looks like uh, Angry Birds, the card game. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's what I was going to say, is I'm not a fan of the art, unfortunately. I actually really like Battleline, not maybe so much because of the gameplay, but because of just kind of how it looks. I don't appreciate these kind of uh, cartoony Vikings thing. I just kind of wish the game would look more serious, personally. I mean... 
once I'm playing, I don't even, I'm not even looking at the art. I'm yeah. looking at numbers. I'm looking at, you know, but I do agree. And maybe they'll do a battle line too, you know, now that this is out. Also, what I was hoping for is like that you'd arrange the cards in like a semicircle or something, or a, I don't know, a circle or some kind of mechanic like that. There's still just a line, uh, you know, like defender, like you're def like you're being sieged, is what I mean. Like you're defending against a siege. Yeah, this but one. This one. They'll, uh, they'll retheme this with uh, 300, and then they'll just throw Gerard Butler's abs all over the place. Uh, actually, that'd be <laughs> really cool. I wish they'd do that kind of. Yeah, the, in this one you're defending a castle, so it's like a, the castle wall, uh, yeah. which would make sense if it was at least like a half circle, semicircle, or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I don't mind a line. It's just yeah, uh, it's fine. Yeah, I think we played this one semi recently, Risto. At least battle yeah. line. Yeah, we played battle line. Uh, the one weird thing in this game is like proving that you've won uh, one of the locations. That's always been kind of an interesting aspect of this game very because you have to, it's not enough to just like you have to prove that it's impossible for your opponent to beat your situation if you want to claim it before the entire deck has been played right yeah this one has a similar thing however when cards are discarded because cards will get discarded because of taking over certain spots and and certain effects of uh the tactic cards they actually suggest that you put them off to the side and grouped together in colors for that very reason yeah, yeah. yep all right uh well the next game i'm gonna talk about is the widely acclaimed wingspan uh <laughs> brand new game right no the uh oceania expansion just recently came out i had an opportunity to play it a couple times recently uh so basically High-level view for anyone who may not have heard of Wingspan, um, if you've been living under a rock. Um, it's basically a game where you're trying to capture birds, force them into three different habitats, and then make them do your bidding by producing worms and fish and rats and things and killing other birds and tucking them under their uh, under their wings and eating them. And that's exactly how the theme is described in the rule book. <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, so this, this new expansion, of course, introduces a new type of, you know, new birds from the Oceania area of the world. So that's, uh, you know, all the islands and Australia and everything around there. Uh, the new type of card that it adds is end game scoring. Um, so you can put these birds out that will then give you sort of end game objectives to collect, you know, whatever it may be, you know, eggs on certain birds or, you know, whatever, whatever the card says. So you score points at the end of the game. Another thing that this adds, though, is it replaces the player boards with new boards because each habitat, uh, the forest, the plains and, and the water now has a mini majorities game because there's a new resource called nectar and a nectar is a wild resource but it's also fleeting meaning at the end of the round if you haven't spent it it goes away and anytime you spend the nectar it goes into a stack on your player board in the habitat area where you played the bird or wherever you spent it 
Um, so at the end of the game, whoever has the most nectar in a habitat will get like five points, I think. And then whoever's the second most gets two points or something like that. Um, so it, add, it added, I thought, a, a kind of a cool mechanic to, to Wingspan. Um, I, I wasn't so much a fan of the first expansion, but this one is probably one that I would um, always play with if I were playing with Oceania. It's actually kind of funny, though, the the introduction of a wild resource kind of breaks a couple of cards uh, from the base set. I think there's this raven bird that you can spend an egg and get two, any two resources you want, so you can basically get that bird and then spend eggs to get two wild resources every turn, so... Um, the rulebook actually recommends maybe removing those cards if you're playing with this expansion, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, overall, I you know, and wingspans are is always a big hit, uh, particularly with people who maybe aren't so into heavier style games. And there's just enough game there to scratch the itch of playing a, a neat game. And uh, this expansion, I think, added some cool elements that were that were fun. Yeah, I was going to say, do you still do the goals after every round? One, two, three, yes. four? Oh, so yeah. the, those goal cards for the end of the game do not replace the round goals. They're just kind of an addition. Yep. Just adds on to it. So it gives you more to more yeah, to choose from and more focus on. Yeah. Yeah, just more scoring, it sounds like. Uh, no, actually, I was laughing that when you said like Wingspan is like the most acclaimed or whatever, but it is a cool game and it's very popular. Uh, even with people who play board games, it's popular. It's just like uh, maybe I don't like it so much. And uh, I think Brandon's just okay with it. I think he still has it though, right, Brandon? Uh -huh. yeah. So it is, it is a good game, I think. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. yeah, you may be alone because, yeah, I like it. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I had to uh, I had to add a house rule, which I'm really not a fan oh, of. The starting I, draft. Yeah, yeah, the starting draft. I don't like just deal uh, starting hand and get what you get. So I always do a draft, which is no big deal. Um, so did the European expansion, was that just more cards? Is that it? Yeah, and it added... Um, it exactly because I played with it once and didn't enjoy it a lot, but it, it added some uh, some more player interactions. I remember there were like cards that stuff like to remove people's of, birds or something. Yeah, it's, it's like eggs. it's like inadvertent. So there's nothing I think that um, removes somebody else's bird. But there was this one card that I mean, it's you're gonna like this ability, Risa, because I think you would have used and abused this power. <laughs> um, but I remember someone I played with uh, had this card that every turn or every time they activated that bird, they were wiping the card display. So they were cycling cards super fast. Uh, so it basically me meant uh, don't pay attention to anything before it's your turn because it's not gonna be there. Um, and it added some weird dynamics. Um, it. it it was probably fine but it's you know it's an expansion that i'll probably just leave out except i'll keep the purple eggs because why not there's just more eggs right they don't represent anything special yep yep maybe one day they'll add an expansion that you know makes colors matter but i think jamie stegmeyer said they're probably going to stay away from that because it adds too much complexity to a game that's not really targeted at that kind of audience yeah that's that'd be funny if they did because i i've always been th i actually don't like the colored eggs 
I don't like the pastel color. I, I don't know why. I you wanted more one, didn't you? Easter no. probably. It reminds saying. me of Easter, yeah. And I wanted them to be a little more realistic. Like I wanted to paint them kind of beige and do like spackles on them. So I w- wanted to like eventually paint them. So it'd be hilarious if I ended up painting them and then they make make an expansion that makes the colors mean something and I have to paint them back. <laughs> You've ruined your game? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't think about that. Well, you can buy you can buy new eggs on online. I hear you can like uh, maybe Meeple Sourcer directly from Stonemire. So that's uh, that's how they're going to get more of your money. So then I could use my other painted ones for all the other games that use eggs. Exactly. I, I hear a fan expansion coming on, Brandon. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was some games that we played. So up next is upcoming games. All right. So I have a couple, and I haven't actually been excited about a dexterity game in a long time. I actually do enjoy dexterity games. But I've sort of laid off on buying them. I feel like I have enough. And I have enough because I have like 15 of them and I would be hard-pressed to even get one of them played. However, this isn't a game that I'm necessarily excited about, but I am very curious. It's a game called Crash Octopus. So players to uh, race to collect cargo. This is real, by the way. I'm not I'm not yeah, trying to... I was, I was uh, about to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Players race to collect cargo that's floating in the ocean surrounded by a giant octopus. And the first player who collects all five types of cargo uh, on their ship wins. So what you're doing on your turn is it seems like you... So you have this flag that's... um, Oh, you use your flag in order to navigate by flicking your anchor that's next to your ship to move your ship. So you could either move your ship or you can flick some of the um, cargo to get to hit your ship. So if you fail, then you don't do it. Now, you're trying to collect one of each type of cargo, as I said, but there's like this black cargo that makes the 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 octopus kind of upset and he attacks in quotation marks. So each player takes a turn dropping a die and it bounces off of the octopus's head, possibly moving the head or tentacles to get in the way of other players trying to pick up cargo and possibly knocking off cargo of a ship. Um, So uh, to me, this seems like the description is that it's a speed dexterity game, which I personally have never played where never i don't know maybe i'm wrong because it actually says on your turn so maybe you're taking turns but it's whoever could collect it first so that's probably it actually scratch all of that because i think i'm wrong but side note i want a speed dexterity game anyway this looks to be (laughs) this this looks to be like a japanese design games i'm always interested in japanese design games because it feels a little bit fresh you've evolved brandon you're you're a whole new person Especially with like octopuses and tentacles and stuff. <laughs> well, actually, uh, funny, funny enough, I did look at this game on Kickstarter and it was obscenely expensive, I think. That's why I didn't back it. But actually, uh, when you started talking about it, I laughed and then I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, it's the game I was looking at. <laughs> uh, it's by the studio that's done actually Tokyo Highway. And I talked about a game a long time ago with a pendulum that you oh, actually yeah. attach to the ceiling called mm-hmm. uh, Stone 
own Henji the Sun. So it's uh, the very interesting kind of company that does in, in like interesting ideas, some of which don't quite work according to their BGG ratings. So that's why I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I, uh, this is like going to be actually a cool game. Sounds extremely crazy and weird, but it could be in a good way. It could be in a bad way. Oh, I guess I should say uh, um, they have a, a instant classic called Here Comes the Dog from 2018. Just I kidding. thought you were going to say, oh my gosh, I backed it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I just think like Brandon is saying, the Japanese kind of influence, they just uh, kind of have some interesting ideas. And I think that's really good with board games. Yeah, it feels different than um, than your average board game or a dexterity game. I think maybe I'm really interested in that because I do like Tokyo yeah. Highway. I thought it was an interesting take on a... I don't know if it was necessarily dexterity. It's like it's dexterity, but mainly an abstract game of like crossing roads and whatnot. But yeah, this game it looks cool. It looks like you know, um, you have this octopus head, which is just half of a cir- half of a um, a sphere that you're putting in the middle, and then octopus tentacles around it. I don't know why it would be so expensive. It looks like it's just all wooden bits. Uh, I think it's because of maybe shipping from japan as oh, well yeah. it's like production cost for some reason i think i think they're producing it in japan so it's like uh, i don't know i think it's just it was just kind of more expensive than i wanted to uh, something to the tune of like 60 or 70 dollars or something with shipping included so i was like eh, i'll just wait if it to see if it even comes here because i think some of their games haven't really made it here the less popular ones this looks like it might actually make it to the u.s so hopefully yeah that was my question is whether they've indicated if this is kind of not really going to be in wide distribution or yeah because tokyo highway kind of made it very unpopularly i think some copies so i mean it did make it to retail uh stonehenge in the sun i've never seen it yet if ever uh that's not a game i was kind of interested from them and some of them games did their games that i'm looking at here just no idea if they were ever ever in stores yeah, um, to- Tokyo Highway was actually, I saw it at a Barnes & Noble. So it, it definitely oh, wow. got here and like kind of made a, a small mainstream main, mainstream splash. But uh, nobody really so talks weird. about that game so much anymore. Yeah. I think it's uh, another another one of those, like you say, basically it's an abstract game. The dexterity is just kind of odd and that's kind of how you would describe their games i think yeah yeah it's why you're playing this dexterity or why you're playing this abstract game be careful not to knock anything over <laughs> yeah that's basically what it is yeah yeah all right so this is the second game that uh is upcoming is called jekyll vs hyde another two-player trick-taking game which this seems to be getting some steam uh the the uh two-player trick-taking game somebody figured it out and then everybody's trying to follow anyway this one seems interesting so one person is playing Hyde, one person is playing dr jekyll so essentially you're playing like the same person anyway uh what you're doing is you're playing a trick-taking game but when you after the round is done you see how many tricks were won on both sides and you take the high result and minus by the low result and you get your number in which the you have a board that's like um a piece with it's that's going towards hide so that's how many times that the piece will move toward hide all right so whether whether or not 
Dr. Jekyll won more tricks than Hyde, it's always going toward Hyde. So basically, you're if you're playing as Hyde, you're trying to either get your opponent to take a lot of tricks or you're trying to take a lot of tricks yourself. You're trying to get that number high and Jekyll is trying to balance it out so it doesn't move or doesn't move so much. Uh, you're going to play a, a number of rounds and once the round... Once the uh, game ends, if the token hasn't hit Hyde, then Jekyll would win. But anytime the, the the piece hits Hyde, then Hyde wins. Sounds really interesting to me. I think there's more in it that is being described because there's other tokens I see that is not being described on the page. However, it looks interesting, and I do find myself liking a lot of these two-player trick-taking games. And by a lot, I mean maybe one. So I stand. I correct myself. Because I thought I liked Claim, and then I played it a couple more times, and I was like, nah, it's kind of random, but Fox in the Forest is uh, is the one that I would uh, appreciate the most. There's even two, two of Fox in the Forest, so you can count that twice, right? That's true, although I haven't played Duet. Is it called Duet? I'm yeah. Just... Uh, by the way, Korean publisher and first-time designer by the name of Gio Neil. They like those uh, like pseudonyms, I think. But art by Vincent Dutre. Yeah. So that's weird. Just strange. Looks like I was looking up to see if it's the same as the Fox in the Forest people because it kind of sounds like some kind of a mashup of Fox in the Forest mechanics. But no, it's completely different. Yep. So that's some upcoming games that I want to talk about. All right. Uh, well, I'll jump in. The first game I'm looking forward to is called Origins First Builder. Now, this is a game published or to be published next year. I think probably around Gen Con is what they're saying uh, by Board and Dice. And the designer is Adam Kwapinski from, you know, the designer of such titles as Nemesis and uh, Lords of Hellas some big name titles but this game is actually appears to be switching into full euro without the kind of weird amerithrash ameritrash type things that you get uh with those other games this is um kind of a city builder it's actually a historical simulation it answers the questions of you know how pyramids and all those grand buildings were built uh, the players are going to be spacefaring races that visit Earth to impart wisdom on humans. I knew so it. So basically, we're going to be influencing the construction of buildings and monuments, guiding population. There will be, I think, three Zodiac Temple tracks because it's a it's a board and dice game. So why not? And uh, the interesting thing, though, about these temple tracks is that you're only going to score your two least valued temples. So it kind of We'll change up the temple dynamic a little bit. I'm interested to see how that works out. And then, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of video content about this yet. I know they did some live plays uh, during Spiel Digital that I only caught a minute of here and there. But there's some sort of circular arms track that um, somehow plays into determining player order and the strength of your attacks on whatever you're fighting. Um, and, and I think the game is largely dice placement. Um, I, I think I saw images of uh, things that look similar to how you know, little uh, dice cages in Coimbra. Um, and then so you have these places on the board where you, where you can place your dice. And I assume the value of the die is going to 
you know, determine the strength of your action, maybe the things you have access to. And then I, I believe there's also a way that the way you're um, building tiles in front of you, sort of your tableau of buildings that you're uh, constructing over the game has sort of square shaped or diamond shaped holes uh, when you sort of, you know, if you place four next to each other and you have a hole in the center. And I think there's some sort of mechanic where you're placing dice in those spots. Um, so it seems kind of cool. Uh, maybe a little engine building dice placement. It seems seems uh, neat. And uh, I like the publisher and the designer certainly has gained recognition lately. Uh, haven't enjoyed all of his games, but uh, certainly a big name coming to uh, board and dice. I don't know if either of you have heard of uh, of this one. I did. I did hear about it somewhere recently, and I think I actually tried to look this up, and it doesn't show any pictures, but the description sounded neat. And yeah, I do like. I like Lords of Hellas quite a bit, and I liked In Between okay. So th- this sounds really cool. I like definitely like the theme of it, and I like the cover. I could see the cover of it. The cover looks cool, um, but yeah, that's this sounds interesting yeah i haven't heard anything about this at all it's the first time i'm hearing about it yeah sure yeah, yeah we'll see <laughs> count Risto a skeptic because of adam <laughs> kopinski <laughs> yeah actually i was gonna say uh, he's got some very mixed feelings i have mixed feelings about him he's done some games that i uh lords of hellas was kind of good maybe <laughs> i'm still kind of undecided but no it's more good than not good but uh yeah, there's some like nemesis. I don't know. It's it is what it is though, um, and I yeah. think he's kind of hopefully getting better as time goes on. But we'll see. I don't know. And we kind of had a weird run in with uh, Frostpunk. Oh um, yeah, but this game from you know the the limited content I've been able to see so far seems like it's it's headed straight into Deep Euro Land, and so it may not have. I'm hoping some of the issues that we've had with some of his other games um anyway that's origins first builder uh the next game i want to talk about is i think only initially going to be available in germany uh brandon might know about this it's forgive me if the pronunciation's off it's called geschwollen bruder how do you spell it it's uh the english translation i believe is swollen bros (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> okay that's that's hilarious yeah uh no the next game i'm talking about is actually one coming up from mind clash games uh, a recent kickstarter for perseverance the castaway chronicles uh this is the whole team of of uh mind clash designers plus a couple that uh worked on yado uh and david turtsy is also involved in this one so really a, a panel of of designers for this game and it's the interesting thing about this one is it's actually going to be four episodes which are four entirely separate games that you can play individually or you can play it in kind of a campaign mode, but this is taking campaign mode to a new level of ridiculousness where each episode is a separate box and its own game. So it's kind of interesting that way. So this this Kickstarter uh, that they just did for the episodes one and two, uh, which I did end up backing, 
um, so we can look forward to playing this. Um, the first episode, it, it, so the the theme of the game is, uh, you know, people are on this ship that gets lost in some weird storm and wrecked on a beach somewhere and there are dinosaurs on this island so in this first episode you're crashed on the beach and uh dinosaurs are kind of filing in to eat you and so and it's not a yeah actually there's four lines there's four columns (laughs) so uh it becomes it's it's not cooperative to my knowledge it's it's competitive and it's it's definitely it's a dice drafting dice placement type game and so in this first episode you're you've got to like build walls for defenses set traps and settlements and then there's also this kind of political struggle going on as you establish these camps so you're going to be backing leaders and kind of trying to get followers into your camp it's going to be sort of an area majority type thing um, that that seems really interesting, um, and then you know fighting off dinosaurs and and all that. Um, and then the second episode is uh, you know chronologically you've now completed your massive wall to keep all the dinosaurs out, um, and then you open Jurassic Park. Oh, you really <laughs> no, you open uh, a dinosaur park? Yeah, exactly, dinosaur park, uh, not Jurassic Park. Uh, so the the second episode is more of um, an exploration type game with uh, you know you're gonna customize your leader cards even more. I think there's probably uh, I it's been a while since I read the full thing on the Kickstarter, but there's like skill and tech developments, maybe some sort of engine building, and it's gonna be hex based adventuring expansion, and you will still have to deal with dinosaurs in some form or fashion. Um, so that one is. Uh, you know, going to be along the same lines, I think, in terms of complexity as other Mind Clash games. You know, I've got Tracarian, Anachrony, Cerebria, so I wouldn't expect it to be any less heavy than than those. But, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to that one. What's the, do you know what the dice rolling is? It says dice rolling in, in mechanisms. Yeah, so there, there are dice that have pictured, they're custom dice, so they have pictured on them either you know maybe resource types or action types i can't remember exactly but you're going to roll the dice and then you're drafting them out of a pool to then place into spots on the board and and the board design looks very similar to anachrony i think if i'm remembering correctly so you're going to have sort of these like line things uh where you're going to try to build up majorities in these areas and then use the resources you get i think to influence leaders i it i don't have you know, a concrete idea of how the game works in, you know, in, in action. Cause I don't, I don't even know if it was available on TTS to try out, but uh, it, it, I generally really like dice drafting dice placement games. So it's, it's uh, really caught my attention. I gotcha. I, I backed it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a little misleading for them to put dice rolling in mechanisms. If you're just rolling the dice to see what you're drafting. But yeah, there may be more than that, but I don't recall specifically. I do also see some standees, but I also see some pretty neat looking dinosaur miniatures. I imagine that's like how much you backed it. Is that correct? Like, yeah, is- so they added the dinosaur miniatures, I think, due to popular demand during okay. the campaign. Um, it was going to be just standees, but then everybody was like, we need miniatures because everything has miniatures in it these days. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think the the miniatures might be misleading. It's definitely, I think, just a hardcore heavyweight Euro game with miniatures. If I had this game set up and I was playing it at my home, I would drive my daughter nuts with the fact that she can't play with these little dinosaurs because they look like toys and she loves dinosaurs. Maybe So maybe it's a game I'll get and we'll play together in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> this game looks really cool to me. Your description of it sounds really neat as well. Um, I just hope it's good because the boards look really neat and... I don't know. Sounds really cool, man. I I really dig designers trying to bring more theme to Euro games. Now, that doesn't necessarily always work out well. I could name a few, but I won't. Um, basically, I feel like sometimes gameplay is, is hurt from them trying to induce more theme in it. Whereas uh, sometimes I would rather play a dry Euro game than have some of these. But I think this is the right company to do it. So, um, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think of the Euro games out there that are kind of the heavier ones that try to do theme, in my experience, Mind Clash has, has done that really well. Yeah, no, they make good games, actually. I think I backed this for a dollar, and I need to check on that pledge. Uh, maybe it's too late. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm interested in that game as well. Not necessarily because of the theme. I'm actually maybe the minority. I'm not sure. I'm crazy about dinosaurs, but just because of the designers. Uh, that's There's just so many designers involved in this that it kind of can't be bad, can it? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't looked at the mechanics too closely, but yeah, we'll see. Don't like dinosaurs, Fristo, what? I feel so so bad yeah, for your childhood. Yeah, I guess I never grew up with dinosaurs. Maybe that's, I don't know, it's weird. And one last quick real uh, mention on games I'm looking forward to. I think, Brandon, you mentioned this last episode or two, Lost Ruins of Arnak is starting to hit shelves, and Really interested in that because it mixes, you know, we're starting to see deck building bleed back into games, uh, new games. Uh, so we have deck building with a worker placement uh, aspect, and it's it's kind of cool to see those hybrid mechanisms start appearing. So I'm excited to to try that one. Yeah, me as well. Yeah, CGE, I, I kind of, it's almost auto buy for me. Mm, yeah, depending. Uh, I don't really have too many games looking forward to. I was just going to mention a couple of titles that uh, we're going to play in the short term, I think, which are kind of new releases. One of them I think I talked about just last time, Curious Cargo, Brandon. I think, did I? I think I did. I've talked about it. To. Yeah, maybe you've talked about it, but uh, I'm actually getting it. It looks like tomorrow, so hopefully you'll have some impressions from that. Um, I'm expecting it to be a cool game, basically kind of pipeline the mini game. Uh, another game which um, I have some pretty good indication that I'm gonna like. Uh, well, funniest thing is we actually played a quick two-player game of already, but Marco Polo 2, we're gonna play a four-player, hopefully, if everyone makes it, game tomorrow. And I think um, we'll have something to talk about there because I think the changes they made to the game are positive, so I'm actually pretty excited to try it with uh, more people. Uh, even though two-player game is fine, I think the game is really kind of designed for probably three, four with more kind of uh, people getting in, in each other's way. So Marco Polo 
2, yeah, remake of Marco Polo 1, but kind of a completely different game, same art, but I think there's enough changes that the game kind of feels very different from the first game in some ways. So that's that's it, uh, very short uh, games, uh, upcoming games for me. All right, so we'll be moving on to our top three exciting games. All right, so we thought this would be kind of fun to do back-to-back with relaxing games. We did last (laughs) episode, so last episode you relaxed with us, and this one you're getting excited with us. The way I made my list was sort of like basically games that I am excited to play, have fun playing, and has a lot of player interaction in it. That's sort of what I did. And it makes you sweat. And it makes me sweat. Spoilers, Twister is not on the list. Um, the way I made my list is actually kind of, I really kind of struggled with this actually, because I kind of kept going back and forth between, should I make a list of like normal board games and, uh, games that I just kind of really like playing and I play anytime, or should I make a list of crazy board games that are just like WTF? And I kind of went with the WTF way. So my list is, uh, kind of, kind of weirder a little bit and I'll have some honorable mentions as well with the WTF way. What I mean is the WTF way is actually games which make me like physically excited and just kind of like, yeah, and like, you know, kind of get your blood going. Oh, so Not So Fast will be showing uh, up on actually, this list. that's an honorable mention. So yeah, you're jumping the gun, but Not So Fast is actually a really dumb game, like really dumb speed pattern recognition game, basically flip, uh, flip. Anyway, we're jumping ahead, but yes, it's kind of like that, yeah. That's kind of what I ended up with. uh, I really hope that game we played at Salcon. Actually, yeah, it's number two, but spoilers. Yeah, okay. Well, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before more spoilers, why don't I just go ahead and kick off? Well, how did you make your list, Trevor? Oh, that's right. You want to know my thoughts. All right. Well, at first I started thinking about just games that I'm always excited to play, but you know, that turns into, well, maybe the gameplay itself isn't always what one would think of as exciting. Um, So I kind of tried to select games where when you're playing it, you can just kind of feel everybody at the table is excited and into it and having just a really good time um, and invested in what's, what's going on. And so I tried to find games that captured that feeling. Tris Magistus. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because <laughs> if you're not dying inside, you're not having fun. <laughs> that is that's actually very similar to how I made my list, but I didn't consider everyone else. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> Number three. All right. Uh, so my number three kind of squeaked in because the I think at least for your first couple of plays, everybody's just fascinated by this game and, and it's it's cool and engaging. Uh, you're a bunch of woodland creatures tearing each other apart. Uh, it's Root. Uh, the asymmetrical nature of the game, uh, the cool gameplay, the cute little fuzzy animals. It, just in my experience, whenever I've played this with someone who hasn't played it before, 
they're always fascinated by how the game works. Um, maybe disappointed that they don't understand how the whole game works at first, but every time <laughs> I get this out of the table, it's just, it's, it's fun to, to watch how it unfolds and, you know, the, the politics of who kills who and, and all that. So it's always just kind of a, a really fun experience, I think. Yeah, so that's my number three, Root. My number three, I kind of teeter-tottered between a um, couple of games, actually. One was Captain Sonar, and the other one was actually Pictomania, and I actually picked Pictomania between the two. Uh, not terribly exciting, maybe, as much as my number two and, and number one, but still kind of a game that's... Uh, I think my the, my games might as well be, have been called, like, maybe speed games to some extent, because Pictomania is basically a speed-drawing game where uh, you're trying to finish your painting so it can be guests and guess other people's uh, not paintings what drawings I guess because you're just drawing with like a pen or if you have the old edition markers and the sooner you guess correctly the more points you get so you're trying to uh, then also you get benefits of people guessing yours so you're trying to make a nice uh, drawing but very succinct and just like to the point of what uh, you're the word is um, and then trying to guess everyone else it sounds very simple but the word list that they give you is very evil because it has some very difficult to convey concepts sometimes or just things there's cards with different difficulty but uh you're drawing a word out of like 10 which are very similar maybe like i don't know uh coat jacket uh, uh sweater or something you know like basically you know, something that kind of is very similar uh in concept to each other so it makes it difficult to draw accurately uh, i think uh, the few games the, the few times that i played the game there's been some laughs and just kind of excitement as you play the game um, a little bit of disappointment as well because people don't guess <laughs> what you're trying to do sometimes and you're just like really offbeat with the group sometimes and no one guesses what you're trying to actually do but uh always kind of a good time so that's pictomania if you like speed drawing and guessing that's um, the game i think cg as well not very cg type game but uh, kind of more like in their party games line so to speak so yeah i've never played this one so i'll have to take your yeah word for i should it. bring it sometime it's pretty cool it's a pretty good time all right so i just kind of realized that my my list is going to be more convincing you guys that they're exciting but here i go all right, so my number three is Abyss. Why is Abyss exciting? It's got pearls for resources, <laughs> money, and the pearls are held in a in a plastic cup that looks like clams because they're pearls. Uh, no, I think the art in this What's game. What's resource again? It's pearls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the art in this game is amazing. It looks like kind of airbrushed art, and it's kind of a fun little side thing of you could like. Uh, they have different um, box covers for like I don't know where you buy it from or whatever, but they're they're just different characters. It's just the face of the character um, characters in the game. Leaders, I think they are political leaders. Uh, that's what drew me into the game was just this big face staring at me at the board game store. And I, and I ended up looking into it and it's Bruno Catala and what it is, it's an auction game. And I think that auction games actually really excite me and they seem to excite the, the table that I'm usually playing with. And, um, so you're just like kind of flipping these cards 
You flip a card and it goes around once to see if you want to auction with pearls. And when it gets back to you, you can either buy the card or you can keep going. Uh, kind of a press your luck thing. Anyway, these cards are just like kind of sea animals and creatures. And you're trying to collect these as a set collection mechanic to discard them for these political leaders. And these political leaders will sit in front of you and they will do grant you uh, certain different abilities. Some of them will come with keys as well. And when you get three keys, then you can get a location. And this location is going to give you kind of in-game goals to go for. And then the game ends and you count up points. That's about it. But... Uh, I really enjoy the look of this game. The game theme is kind of like you're trying to gain political influence to become like the ruler of the sea, which is kind of a neat, unique theme. As I said, the art is really good on this. And it's just kind of fun and exciting for me. And that's why it's my number three abyss. The biggest thing that I remember from that game is the cups where you store your pearls. You could actually kind of like spin them around and it was really <laughs> cool because they're very smooth and they spin very well. Uh, kind of like basically just like, yeah. Everyone fun. does that too when they get them. It's amazing. <laughs> it's some kind of psychology test like that they were doing with that game, but everyone does it and it makes it more exciting. So yeah, you just proved my point even more. Nice. Trevor, have you played Abyss? I have not. I'm looking at pictures. It looks fun. It, um, looks, it looks way more fun than it, it actually looks, is. I'm just kidding. It looks exciting, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have one more question, though, um, before it can reach full maximum exciting level. Are there any pearls? There are pearls. Moving on. I'm sold. Number two. All right, number two is an even more grandiose game than Root by publisher Blam! Uh, designer Aaron Weisblum, it's Celestia, which is a reworking of uh, Cloud9. Uh, basically, the concept of the game is, I think this is actually set in the world of Gulliver's Travels. But it doesn't matter because all you're doing is pushing your luck, trying to fly from island to island in your makeshift airship, uh, trying to get to 50 points uh, before anybody else. But the funny part is your points are hidden. So you don't know exactly how many points other players have, but you can kind of guess based on where they decided to collect um, treasure cards. And that's kind of the funny part of the game is every round, somebody's going to be the captain uh, who has to face a challenge, which is just rolling dice and then playing cards that match the symbols on those dice to, you know, discard those cards and pass on to the next island. And if they can't do that, then the ship crashes and burns and everybody else who stayed on the ship dies with it. Um, but before the uh, ship is actually tested players can decide to jump off, stay on the island, pick up a treasure card, and then join the ship again the next round, because it resets to the the, the first island every round. Uh, this is just a hilarious game of 
uh, you know, kind of trying to bluff when you're the captain to make people think that you're that you can succeed when you can't, because uh, you don't want them to get points if you're not getting them. There are cards that um, have special powers to kind of mess with the other players. Um, the expansion, there's two expansions uh, for the game that add in some interesting cards like that. I remember the last game we played with Risto, I was about to score something like 15 points, but then he made me stay on the ship and crash with him. <laughs> and so that ended really well for, for the both of us. Uh, but it, the game is just hilarious every time. I don't know if I've ever played this game with someone and they came out of it not liking it. It's just, it's pretty light, it's fun, and it's exciting. Yeah, I like uh, Celestia. Uh, yep, it's it's a good time usually. Uh, sometimes, like you say, people do things to you. There's some take that in that game, but it's overall a good time and not very serious, which is the point. Uh, my number two is actually this is where we're getting in the WTF into WTF territory. But like Trevor was saying, it's a game I played at SaltCon. Uh, maybe actually the only time I've played it, oddly enough. Um, I really, it's kind of crazy that it's number two, but. Uh, maybe it's not going to be so uh, amazing if I play it like every day or something, but Bonk! Uh, Bonk is an action speed dexterity game, which I think is what my kind of list has sort of turned into, especially with some honorable mentions that I was thinking about. Uh, the whole game comprises of, there's two kind of ramps, uh, four ramps, sorry, two ramps per side, and there's uh, two ramps fighting against two players, with using two ramps fighting against another two player team of two players using two ramps and the whole thing is a board and the board has some kind of shape and it's slightly uneven so the there's a ball that's rolling around the board so that the ball cannot stay in the middle and basically it's a speed game of trying to roll these like steel balls to push this kind of wooden lighter ball into the other person's the other people's goal um, and it kind of it, the whole game is very unstable so basically if you do nothing it will end up in someone's goal it's not like uh, soccer or something or like uh, air hockey where you have to like super be accurate uh, you just have to basically do nothing for the ball to end up in your goal so it kind of turns into this madness of just basically rolling balls but trying to be accurate and actually trying to work kind of with your teammate and kind of looking with the corner of your eye what they're doing as well uh, but just mostly just as fast as possible trying to just knock this ball into the other person side and just kind of push through their rolling <laughs> which is it's, it's just kind of hilarious um, I don't know if it was the right time of night or something but uh, when we played at the SaltCon it was just like insanely loud and uh, at least I was excited it looked like everyone else was excited too for some reason I actually looked at this game previously I think it's at Target or maybe it can be found at Target uh, I actually, actually think it is only I don't know if I've seen it in board game stores uh, but it didn't look very interesting. I was just like, oh, this looks like a weird idea that probably isn't that much fun in real life or in, when you actually start playing it. Uh, but it turned out to be amazingly good, uh, at least for what it is, um, which is if you're into just kind of madness and just kind of get a rush of excitement and just kind of uh, uh, make noises a little bit of like, yeah, and just uh, high-fiving your teammate and so forth. That is basically bonk. So... Uh 
if you're going to accurately uh, represent the sound you make. (laughs) There was one point in this game. um, On first correction, though, uh, it was time of morning that we were playing it. Yeah, it was like 2 a.m. or something. 2 a.m. or something when we were playing this. And uh, to demonstrate how exciting it was, I think Christo actually got up out of his chair and was screaming at near supersonic level. <laughs> <laughs> we scored on uh, on on the other side. <laughs> yeah, no. Sometimes, like uh, it's just like the ball's like right in front of your goal, and then you get we have these like lucky connections of just like yeah, I can't believe this actually happened. Kind of a situation that that's basically what the game is kind of about. Those moments, I think. Yeah, we were actually playing that one with uh, Matt and Justine, so they would uh, yeah. appreciate the shout out to that game. That was I, I agree. It, it was just like an instant favorite, but I don't know. I don't know if it. Uh, if we should pull it out of the, uh, you know, the con the convention context. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's not a game you can play every day for sure. I think that would get extremely boring. But like once in a while, when you feel like playing that kind of game, which I think is most speed games. Like I don't think they're games you can play every day. That's just would just get super boring and annoying. Uh, I think like when you feel like that type of game, I think it's a really good game. <laughs> It's like pretty much adult crossfire and yeah. uh yep. and i played this for the first time at a con too i think it was uh 2017 or 18 but my wife and i bought it we had so much fun with it um yeah. it's a little dusty right now if i'm uh if i'm gonna be honest <laughs> yeah. a little dusty so maybe we should have left it at the at the, at the it, con it but it's have, a fun it game. does have a little bit of a novelty to it so yeah i don't know um I haven't played it like too much. There's also a video game named Bonk. Do you guys remember that old 90s video game where it was like a little caveman kid with a huge head and he bashed things with his head? This game has nothing to do with that. Uh, Actually, no, but yeah. Is it real? Yeah, no, it's real. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fallen Bros. Yes, Fallen Bros. (laughs) My number two is Clank, a deck-building adventure. So anything with adventure in it is exciting, right? Well, maybe not necessarily, but this game to me is very exciting. The game is a deck-building game with a board, which I think it was maybe the first one to implement a board with the with the deck-building, except maybe there's a few more. At least it was the most popular one that came out. Anyway, this is sort of a dungeon crawl where you're going into down into caves and you're trying to get the most... Um, the highest like uh, treasures and bring them back up while remaining alive from a dragon that is coming through and attacking. Uh, You're just basically, you're playing your deck building to be able to move and to be able to fight certain things on the board, but it's always a good time. And any, any player that wasn't big on board game casual gamers i show this to like immediately loved it like for me i think it's like a really great uh gateway game to get people into the hobby but also really exciting about you know you're pulling out these cubes and hopefully your color doesn't come out and uh yeah so i have a lot of fun playing this um they made a second one uh clank in space which i think is actually a better game but the, the, but that one seems a little bit more involved 
and that's why I think it's a better game. However, this one to me seems more exciting. And then the same designer also just made Dune, which is also exciting for me. Dune Imperium. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to play this game every time, and it never lets me down. And that's why it's my number two Clank, a deck building adventure game. Yeah, we have a lot of experience with Clank. Me and Trevor, we did the full campaign of Clank uh, Legacy. Yep. It, was, it was good, kind of, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> no, I think it's actually of the Legacy games I've played that was the most fun. And, you know, like Brandon said, it's exciting every time you play it. Yeah, it is, yeah. The excitement is there, yeah. Number one. All right. Well, Brandon, if you thought you were excited about Clank, get even more excited because Clank is my, is my number one. Um, Clank has been a hit with, uh, you know, with the people I play with every time. And in particular, what kind of shoots this to the top of my list, this is one of my wife's favorite games to play. Uh, she actually played through the full uh, Clank Legacy with Risto and I, um, and and that's saying something to get her to play a game that many times over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, she her favorite part is pulling the cubes out of the bag to wreck everybody's faces, <laughs> um, and she, I am considering banning her from that role because she consistently pulls mine out first every time. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so she can feel just, color yeah yeah she she just pulls my color every time um no but it's it's a good time like you said uh deck building push your luck dungeon dive push your luck you get greedy push your luck it's just this really oddly fun combination of push your luck mechanisms with a whimsical theme that it just it's really fun and and exciting every time you play it so i agree with everything that we said before now why did you pick Clank instead of Clank in space. Just curious. Same reasons. Um, (laughs) You know, we got into Clank and, you know, uh, full disclosure. Hi, my name's Trevor. I'm a Clank addict. Um, (laughs) I have every single expansion for the game. You know, all the new maps. uh, Base Clank, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I just... It, it's really easy to get that out with a lot of people with, you know, new people who don't yeah. play a lot of games. Uh, it's really accessible and easy. And I think that I've only played Clank in space one time. And the only time I played it, I don't think I ever made it past like the first third of the board. <laughs> and so I just died miserably. And so the, the Clank in space, it, it, it introduced some more complexity that just kind of didn't work out my first play. And so maybe that's why I kind of was turned off by it. But, you know, I agree with you after having played through Clank Legacy, which kind of builds in some of the mechanics they added in, in Clank in space. I think it is the better game, um, but it may be not the same kind of whimsical, exciting fun. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a different feeling game for sure, but I think maybe you should give it another chance when uh, the memory of the bad experiences <laughs> with Clank in Space dies. Yeah, no, funny it's, enough. Uh, it's, it's a different game. It's a little bit more, it's a little longer. It's a little, it has a little bit more of a curve. Uh, it's less kind of punchy. 
uh, which I actually didn't really like so much at first, but I think it kind of grew on me. The, uh, I played it like four or five times now. So, yeah. Yeah, funny enough, I own um, Clank in Space as well as Clank, and uh, I've only played it once as well. But Clank I've played tons of times, and more times even after I got Clank in Space. So I think, yeah, Clank is just, the original is just easier to get to the table, I would say for sure, and easier to explain as well. <laughs> Yeah, we should play Clank in Space sometime, actually, where I didn't realize you had it. I actually really kind of like that game for what it is, so, yeah. I'll, I'll play it again, but I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitant. Um, Clank actually just came out with another expansion that allows you to play up to six players, so the craziness mm -hmm. and excitement goes to the power of six. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of people not getting first arrival bonuses on the board oh, to yeah. me, but I don't know. They actually change it to be more like Legacy, where you don't actually put oh. two small treasures, you just kind of pull them from a pile. That sounds a lot better, actually, because that would be kind of rage-inducing a little bit. But anyway, yeah, enough about Clank. Um, my first, uh, my first, my number one game is actually Monikers. I just had to put that game as number one because uh, I like in any time I kind of uh, we are about to play board games or maybe we're just like hanging out at the game store or whatever and you're just kind of feeling like eh, I don't know whatever let's play games or whatever uh, once we start playing monikers it just kind of instantly kind of brings out that kind of excitement of uh, just adrenaline maybe or something uh, and it's kind of a, an interesting build up because the game has three phases and I think it gets more and more exciting as the game goes on <laughs> towards where at the end you're then it kind of goes along with the game because like at first you're just uh, speaking words, then you're actually like, uh, well, not uh, saying one word, I think. And then at the end, you're actually like full on like acting out the words without uh, speaking to descriptions of what the words are supposed to be. Uh, but uh, that kind of curve, it maybe has to do with the scoring as well, because like the stakes are higher and higher because like uh, the, the game of the end of the game is nearer and nearer. So you feel like you need to do better and better. Uh, but it just kind of brings out this kind of, like I say, adrenaline excitement of just like, yeah, and being on a team. And again, those moments of just being loud and uh, making a quick guess and just kind of feeling good about how smart you are. Now, it's uh, really just kind of a really fun party game. Um, and that's Monikers. I think we've talked about it before plenty, but yeah, I just had to put it as number one exciting game for me. Yep, that works for excitement, I would say, quite well. I always feel excited after I play it, whether I win or lose. Well, mine's sort of opposite of that, but I do find it very <laughs> exciting to play. <laughs> there better be pearls in this one. There's no pearls, but there's pyramids. Amun Ray by Reiner Knizia. Another sort of auction game. I mean, you are auctioning for different territories in the game. However, there's a lot more to it than auctioning. I guess you're sort of blind auctioning, too, uh, for favors of the of the god Amun-Re. But anyway, uh, this game is a game where you are doing several things during a round where you're going to auction for territories. And these 
these territories will come with certain things. They'll come for, uh, they'll come with uh, like a number of spots for farmers to go, and farmers are going to produce money, hopefully. And then there's uh, like spots that maybe come with some bricks to build t- temples and cards and card limits. And then you're going to buy some stuff. And what you're going to do is you're going to buy some farmers to produce money. You're going to buy some cards that maybe will give you a scoring opportunity or maybe an opportunity to cheat in a certain phase. And you're going to build. So if you build three bricks, then it turns into a pyramid. And then once you have two pyramids, you replace it with a double pyramid. And basically, you're going to check in two uh, eras of the game has two scoring opportunities so one in the middle of the game and the one at the end of the game you're going to check a a number of different things on each side of the nile on the board you're going to see how um how many majority you're going to check majority of pyramid majority and that person will get five points you're also going to get a point per pyramid and then you're going to get three points per pyramid in your region that has the least amount of pyramids so it's all about pyramid building And then you're going to auction blindly. Uh, The money is on cards, by the way. So you'll put down some cards and you'll show them. And whoever paid the most money is going to get first player and going to be able to get three favors of the gods, which is just like the building phase, those things as well. Anyway, there's a lot more to the game. But for me, there's a lot of player interaction in this game. It's one of the few euro games that i really enjoy that has a lot of player interaction every single phase you're looking at what everybody's doing what they're building trying to outbuild them trying to outbid them and that's why it's really exciting to me and i'm always excited to play it and i'm always excited when i'm playing it and i always have a great time playing it and that's amun ray yeah, I think Amon Ray is an awesome game. I would not really put it as exciting for me. I think it's a very like quiet Euro where you're just kind of sitting there and calculating. And it has some exciting moments with auctioning in particular for me. But yeah, I, it's kind of quiet for me. Quiet Euro calculating? That sounds exciting. If you could hear my thoughts while playing this game, I would be yelling and screaming. <laughs> yeah, just just think uh, think of Brandon thinking in his head what you made the sound you made during bonk, and that's pretty much <laughs> what's going on in my head. Oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is your brain on Amun Ray. Ah! <laughs> uh, anyway, honorable mentions. I have quite a few actually that I just want to list off, sort of. I've got a couple I'll throw in once you're done. I have one, uh, so I'll go after that. Okay, so actually speaking of exciting auctions, there's a really stupid game which I only played like two times while I wasn't even into board games in like the early 2000s called Pit. Uh, I think the game was actually created in 1901, which is amazing. Uh, It's not really auctioning, but basically you're kind of shouting and trying to collect uh, trade with other people and whoever collects a set like rings this bell and like, yeah, it simulates like stock trading. I thought that was pretty kind of exciting, but the second time I played it, I wasn't excited as excited as the first. So maybe again, like kind of a novelty game. Speaking of a novelty game, a very similar game to Bonk is called Fast Track, Fast Rack or Fast Track. It's a 
very simple game where you're just flinging discs in this opening towards your opponent and whoever flings the, the all the discs in the other person's field basically wins uh, I think I'd like it a little bit less than Bonk because it's um, kind of uh, first of all repetitive, second of all I think not being on a team is kind of not so eh. I don't know there's just something about it that's just kind of like meh and Bonk I think I liked a lot more, maybe it's working with someone maybe it's like rolling along the balls along the ramp and it's not just like flinging discs the whole time the i think the fast track way is like to just get into a groove of doing the exact same motion over and over it is exciting and fun though and it's silly so that there's that uh classic is very similar to that i think you've talked about classic before i briefly mentioned captain sonar i think that's got some potential to be exciting with the right group but it also has potential to not be exciting with the wrong group so i don't know not so fast uh, we mentioned it in the preview i think it's a very silly like in pattern recognition game where you're grabbing nuts huh get the joke um when you see matching certain patterns on cards which are revealed that's the whole game but we we've had some really crazy exciting shouting matches with that one as well and just kind of like it just it just silly hilarious game so um the, the bgg reviews of it are horrible but for what it is it's just dumb fun is how i would describe it so not so fast um uno and solo i think are kind of in that category uh solo on board game geek actually a uh, board game arena sorry uh there again i don't know how much redeeming quality they have is like strategic board games but if you play them properly meaning like fast uh like there's a rule where i think a lot of people don't from my uh, again going back to my prior to playing board games playing games experience uh, a lot of people don't play at the speedway they just take turns uh, it's supposed to be when you have a matching card you can play it out of turn and that can get really crazy if you actually play it kind of properly um, and kind of exciting uh, there's a whole genre of games that i've wanted to play actually for a while called uh, dutch blitz or ligretto or actually the super obscure game called mars 0445 that i spent like half an hour looking up uh it's a speed game where you play cards in the middle of the table on piles and you kind of have an area in front of you it's only actually two player but maybe up to more it's, i think they're really designed two player i really kind of want to play those games i just don't really haven't really bought them uh, for some reason uh but i've been really interested and yeah that kind of is the list i had i had some others but whatever just forget these are the uh, kind of the silliness that i considered when i was making my list again i made kind of a lot crazier list than brandon and trevor because i was thinking of mostly just speed games that really bring the adrenaline out yeah so i've got a couple of honorable mentions um i've actually grew up playing pit at my grandma's house so i've always associated uh that game with something that my grandma would play and it is hilarious to you know trade cards back and forth i just remember 
several times, you know, when you're a young kid and don't quite understand how games work, you know, I'd trade me and one of my people away. (laughs) I give away the good stuff. I think the wheat is probably the most valuable. So you trade that away because like, oh, look at all these coffee beans I'm going to get. They're so (laughs) worthless. Um, Then you would also, I remember like my siblings or my cousins, we'd trade back the same two cards like again. and Yep. (laughs) That happens, yeah. Make it to somebody else and then they'd come back to me. So you're like kind of just getting the same cards back and forth uh yeah that's a that's a pretty exciting one i would say uh first honorable mention for me is skull um it's you know you've got basically two coasters is is the you know your game pieces and your or three no four, four. actually four including yeah, the base base four. is the fifth one i guess yeah so you try to um you're basically just kind of bluffing and trying to flip over other people's flowers on their discs rather than skulls um and be the last man standing or be the person the the you know win twice basically and it's just a hilarious game every time you play you know tricking people into flipping over your skull and taking away their things until you know they get down to having one left and then they don't care because (laughs) they're gonna lose and so they just do crazy things and they bid five to flip over from the start and you know kind of force people to do crazy things in order to compete to win and it's just hilarious every time i play it um Next honorable mention would be Sonora. I believe that's Pandasaurus Games. Just came out recently. Uh, it's dexterity flick and write kind of game where you're flicking discs into this uh, shared space um, on a board. And then wherever your disc lands dictates what you're going to write on one of four quadrants on your dry erase board. And it's exciting because... As you know, I think it's most exciting with four players because uh, I think each of the players is going to flick five discs in a round um, total into the into the board. And so the later you get in the round, the more crowded it is and the more ability you have to really mess other players up by knocking their discs around. Um, and so it's just really hilarious and exciting. I think there was one game we played where I was crying because I was laughing so much that Hariso didn't care at all where his disc went, so he just flicked it and caused maximum pain for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, so it's just a really, really funny, um, fun game. I uh, like it quite a bit. Uh, next honorable mention is one part of the game of Coloma. And it's the beginning part of the round where you're just action selecting. And the more players you have, the more hilarious this is because... uh, So there's basically, I think, five or six spots on this wheel. And whichever spot gets the most people going to it gets bust. So normally you'd get to do kind of like uh, two actions for where you go. But if, if you're in the spot where the most people go then you only get to do one action. So it's it's kind of real hilarious to to see how that beginning part plays out and you're trying to kind of figure out what where other people might go and certain people might just get wrecked every single round, which is funny <laughs> and maybe a little sad. <laughs> but uh Coloma's fun. Uh last honorable mention for me is another SaltCon game, uh Four Gods. Um really, really funny game where you know, there's restrictions on you can only hold two pieces at once and you're trying to place them into the, you know, build this map out to kind of construct terrains that are going to score points for you at the end of the game. Um, and you 
um, you know, Haristo may be able to explain the game better than I could, but basically you can you hold one piece at a time in each hand and there's only there's restrictions on when you can put it down and where you can put it down and i just found it to be a really funny and exciting game yeah i was gonna say just really quickly sonora and coloma they do have that moment of excitement where you're flicking or getting screwed in coloma but then the rest of the game feels like i don't know sonora you're just like doing homework trying to figure out the maximum combos and coloma is the same way like how can i extract the maximum resources and stuff yeah. so it has this kind of like spike of excitement but i think the rest of the game is very euro sort of yeah that's why they kind of they stayed a little bit off the list yeah so uh, my honorable mention is sort of just like one category. Now, to me, there's like dexterity games that are sort of like board games that you play maybe sitting down. And then the, to me, there's action dexterity games, which I know that is the same mechanism described on BGG. But however, I kind of think of it a little bit differently. It's almost like miniaturized sports games. So for example, like Haristo mentioned Clask and Bonk. And uh, I haven't played Fast Track, but I've played the bigger version, which is Pucket and Tumbling Dice, all of which I have. It's in, like the same. The, the it's just bigger, I think. Bucket and whatever other name. It's the exact same game, just different sizes in discs. That's it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I have these four games like kind of uh, off my shelf, and I don't play them often, but when I do, it's always exciting. So definitely have to mention those. I think that will do it for us this evening, so thank you for listening. Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme, and thank all of you for listening, and we will return in a couple of weeks.